We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Redemption Church with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. Into the Word of God, but we're not done worshiping. We're going to worship. We're going to be taking up our offering at the end of service. Y'all don't worry about any of that right now, but we're going to be looking at the Word of God. I want to welcome everybody. Our kids are staying in the room with us. Can we hear it for our kids? Yeah. And kids, I know y'all usually go to Treehouse. I want y'all in here with us today. And if any kid needs something to color on, something to keep them occupied, we've got coloring books right up here. Y'all go grab one. Excellent. Welcome, everybody, to Redemption Church. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord today? I'm glad that you're here. We're going to be looking together at the Word of God and 1 Samuel chapter 4 in just a little bit. You can go get your Bibles turned to there if you want. 1 Samuel Chapter 4, quick shout out to somebody watching us online, Teresa Cortez. We've been praying for you and God's, God's help you. Can we hear it for Teresa? That's Rob Cortez's mom, we love you. We also love that Rob, but we, I don't know if we'd ever tell him that. No, we love that guy. We love him so much. All right, we're going to be looking at some scripture today, and I've got some things to show you. We're going to jump this up on the board to help you. First off, somebody say Philistines. Philistines are people who refuse to serve God in our story. They are the bad guys. They are the enemies, all right? They're the enemies. Everybody got that? And then we got the Israelites. These are the people who try to serve God, but they often fail. Does anybody relate to that at all? I try to serve God, but I fail. If you feel that way, I promise you, you came to the right church today. We all are just like that. We try to serve God, but we fall short, all right? And then in our story today, we have the Ark of the Covenant called the Ark of God, and that equals God's presence. It's a golden box, right? And you're not supposed to touch it. It represents God's holy presence. Throughout our story, I want you to remember these these three things, Philistines, Israelites, and the Ark of God. 1 Samuel chapter 4, beginning at verse 10. So the Philistines fought, and the Israelites were defeated, and every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. Verse 11, the ark of God was captured. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, Died. Eli, he's a, uh, the high priest. These are his sons. Israel lost more than a battle in this story. They lost the Ark of the Covenant. Reminder, what, someone remind me, what does the Ark of the Covenant represent? The very presence of God. Does this sound like a big deal? All right. The Philistines, well, how do you think they reacted to all this? Do you think they were happy? Yeah, they want a big victory. Philistines rejoice. They had captured and defeated their enemy, but not just their enemy, but they actually captured their enemy's God from them. That's how they viewed this. Today, I want to talk to you about capturing God. Say capturing God. All right, so 1 Samuel chapter 5, that's where the Philistines take the ark. They take it, and they take it where? They take it to a city. They take it to a city called Ashdod. Can you say Ashdod? Ashdod. Now they are taking it to Ashdod. Why? 
They're taking it to display it. They want to show it off. There is a temple of a fish god named Dagon in the city of Ashdod. That Yeah, that's right. They worshiped a fish god. He looked like a fish. Yeah, and they're like, oh, what a wonderful god Dagon is. He's a fish, and he represents success in fishing, and we're so happy about it. That's what Ashdod did, and they had a temple of Dagon, and they brought the temp- the ark right into the temple of Dagon, and they set it up right beside Dagon as if Dagon had captured Israel's God. And they rejoiced over it. They were very happy. Now, Ashdod has a meaning. Ashdod's the name of the city. One more time, say Ashdod. Ashdod, Ashdod means spoiler. It means spoiler. It, it means ravager. It means one who plunders. All right? So they, this city of people, they were used to uh, attacking people, stealing it, and then taking it home and celebrating, look what we took. Look what we captured and they put it on display. And everything they captured, they would give glory to the God that they served. And his name was Dagon, the fish God. So Dagon, the fish God, in his little temple. And who is in there but the very presence of God. And there's a really amazing story in your Bible you can read. It's in this chapter where they, they set up the Ark of the Covenant next to Dagon, the fish God. And he's just a statue, right? And they go, all right, night, night, Dagon, good night. And they, they close the door of the temple. They go, and then uh, night passes. They, they come back in the morning. And the Ark of the Covenant is still there. But Dagon, the fish god statue, is now laying on its face towards the Ark of the Covenant. And they're like, who did this? Who did this? And isn't it embarrassing when you have to reach down and pick up your God because he's fallen? But that's what they did. They had to reach down and go, oh, my goodness, Dagon, Dagon, have you had too much to drink? You need to sit here. But what happened? Dagon bowed to who? To the God of Israel. I want to remind you that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess our Lord. And so they just thought, man, that must have just been some kind of coincidence. And so they, they, they one more time, they, they say goodnight to Dagon. Good night, Dagon. You sleep well, fish God. And then they close the doors, and the night passes. They come back in the morning. And now, where do you think Dagon is again? Dagon is on his face one more time towards the Ark of the Covenant. But this time... Dagon's head has been knocked clean off and his hands have been knocked clean off. And so they go in there and they go, whoa, maybe this isn't a coincidence. Maybe there is something the God of Israel can do that our statue that has never done anything but fall over these two nights can do. So it seems like the God of Israel is not easy to capture. They brought the, the, the God of Israel into this temple, but he just took over the temple. He's knocking over Dagon. They're worried what would happen the next night if they just stand up Dagon. What will he do uh, to the fish God next? So he's all busted up. And that's just the start of what's going on in this city. The city that thinks that they can capture and put God on display. 
1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 6 says this, The Lord's hand was heavy on the people of Ashdod and its vicinity. Somebody say heavy hand. He brought devastation on them and afflicted them with tumors. When the people of Ashdod saw what was happening, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not stay here with us because his hand is heavy on us and on Dagon, our God. What are they saying? They're saying, we got to get this God of Israel out of here. His hand is heavy on us and on our fish God statue. And so Ashdod, the spoiler, is having trouble. They are not enjoying this story anymore. Usually they get such a kick out of putting on display all the things they have stolen. But now they're like, get the God of Israel out of Ashdod. Get him out of here. Get him out of here. He's bothering Dagon. So they send their captive to another city. Here's the name of that city, Gath. From Ashdod, the Ark of the Covenant goes to Gath. Here's what the name Gath means. It means presser, presser, as in wine presser. In fact, Gath is known for two things. Number one is a giant named Goliath. He is from Gath. Anybody know the story of David and Goliath? Goliath is from this city of Gath. It is also known for its wine presses, and that's why it's called the presser. Gath is the presser. They they always exhibited the strength to crush and squeeze anything that stood in their way. Goliath and giants like that didn't ask please. They just ran right over you with their strength. Gash, Gath thought this in their head. They thought, those silly Ashdod spoilers. Just bring the God of Israel here. We'll show them how it's done. 1 Samuel 5, 9. But after they had moved it into the city of Gath, the Lord's hand was against Gath, throwing it into a great panic. He afflicted the people of the city, both young and old, with an outbreak of tumors. Verse 10, what do you think happens next? What do you think they do? So they sent the ark of God to Ekron. So we got our third city. Now, is this God easy to capture? <laughs> Ask Ashdod, the spoiler. Ask Gath, the presser. Now they have sent it to Ekron. And Ekron has a meaning too. Here's what Ekron means. Ekron means eradicator. Ekron means eradicator. They are known for their complete destruction of cities. They would go into a city and they would eradicate the city. They would eradicate all the crops. They would leave no signs of life behind. So these, these are pretty bad people here. They're pretty bad dudes here. So how do you think they would respond to the captured ark of God? Let's read 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 10. As the ark of God was entering Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, They have brought the ark of the God of Israel around us to kill us and our people. So what, what, what? the ark of God is just entering the city. The ark of God's not even started. They're like, oh no, we've heard what this God has done to Ashdod. And we've heard what this God has done to Gath. 
Oh, you brought it here to kill us. We don't want any part of the God of Israel. He is so hard to capture. The ark entered and the people cried. Here's what they're really crying. They're crying that the God of Israel is too powerful to capture. It's too powerful for us. We can't handle this God. You see, the the God of Israel was not like any other captured king, captured idol, any other spoil that they've ever captured. The God of Israel is nothing like that. They thought that they had captured God, but instead this happened. Get a load of this. He spoiled the spoilers. That's Ashdod. He pressed the pressers. That's Gath. And he eradicates the eradicators. That's Ekron. It's all right there in your Bible. The ark of God was in a foreign land. But can I tell you, the God of Israel was still on the throne. Clap your hands if you know that's true. I want to encourage you, whatever you got going on in your life, there might be things in your school, there might be things in your family, there might be things in your finances, there might be things all around you, your car might not be working, there's all kinds of things that can go wrong. I want to tell you, even though things are going wrong, God is still on his throne, he is undefeated, he is not so easy to be captured. Verse 11, Ekron does this, so they called together all the rulers of the Philistines and said, send the ark of the God of Israel away. Just get it out of here. Let it go back to its own place or it will kill us and all our people. For death has filled the city with panic. God's hand was very heavy on it. So guess what? The Israel, the the ark of God goes back to where? Israel. Now, Israel gets the ark back without ever having to send out a search party. Israel got the victory without actually forming an army. Israel got a victory without drawing up battle plans. Israel received the ark back because God is not capturable. You can win a victory today simply because the God of Israel is your God today. We think that the victory is built on what we're going to do. It's what we're going to do. It's not built on what you're going to do as much as it's built on who you serve. Who do you serve today? You serve a God that has never lost a battle. I want to tell you that any God that can be captured is not really God. Anybody agree with that? Any God that you can just capture and handcuffed and, and lock him up behind bars, that's not really a God. Any God that gets knocked over in the night is not really God. God cannot be captured. Let's change it this way. God cannot be manipulated. God cannot be controlled. He can't be imprisoned. I want to teach you something real quick. Worship is not manipulation. Oh, if I worship God enough, if I worship God actively enough, if I sing loud enough, then I will manipulate God in working on my behalf. I'm telling you, that is a secret way of trying to capture God. It doesn't work that way. Prayer is not holding God captive. I've said the right things. I've said these things. And now I've got God's attention. Now he feels indebted 
to me because I said the nice words. I said these and thou's and all those really fancy King James words. And now he's going to do everything I asked him to do. Somebody say, nope. No, it doesn't work that way. You can't capture God any way, anyhow. Worship. How, why do we worship? Here's why. Because he is the uncapturable God. That's why we worship him. Never place God in the temple of an idol. What is that? An idol is something else you worship as God. We should never hold God as lesser than Dagon. Do you agree with that? That's what the culture would say around us. Whatever the culture lifts up and says this is important, don't let it be more important than your God. Don't ever put your God in a second place position to anything or else that thing you've put him in second position to, it will end up on its face. It will end up with its head broken and its hands broken because nobody stands against the Lord God Almighty. Let me tell you, there's some other things there. We could just substitute the word Dagon for some other things. We could substitute it for sin. Don't hold sin as more powerful and more pleasant than God. How about this greed? Oh, that thing I want. Oh, money, money, money. I want it. I want it. Money. I want, I want, the, I want the new phone. I want the house. I want those things. And God, you're important too, but I really want this. Don't do that. Don't do that. That's an idolatry. Don't do that. How about lust? How about disobedience? How about sickness? Don't let a sickness be more powerful than your God. Don't let a problem be more powerful than your God. You better put your God in number one position. He's greater than. He's greater than. He's not a second fiddle. He's not a number two in any way. He is the God of all gods. And you know what the Lord does? He will break every idol you put near him. You, any, any idol that you put near him, he's going to break. He's going to break that. And that, that can be unpleasant because the people in Ashdod really liked their statue. They really liked Dagon. But it will break. Whatever that thing is that's an idol, it will break. And maybe something is breaking in your life because it's been an idol. And the presence of God saying, put me first. Put me above it. Put faith in me above your fear. No, that's why we worship. Why do we pray? We pray to God because he is the uncapturable God. That's why we seek him. We should never treat him as a means to a desired end. God, I, I really like you because you're going to bless me. And that's, that's, that's why I'm going to do that. Because you're going to answer my prayer. That's why I'm going to pray to you. And he's just a means to an end. No, don't ever treat God that way. That's what got the ark stolen in the first place. Israel put it out, out on the battle going, this is a means to the end. We can't help but win if we just pull out this ark of the covenant. And they did lose. And they did lose the ark. But God was not lost. We should never treat him as a means to a desired end. Instead, God himself is the desired end. Do you understand me? Whatever you're praying for, you want that prayer to be answered. That's good. You, you shouldn't pray hoping that your, answer, your prayer is not answered. But you should pray understanding more of God is the desired end. That his will would be done. That's the desired end. That he would draw close and he'd be the answer to my need. That is 
the desires in. Do you understand that? Are you with me? God is the desired in. If you have him as the desired in, that's why you pray. Just by praying, you're drawing closer to God. And that is what we should be seeking to do. His blessings are not the desired in. His blessings come along with him. His blessings are the added bonus of him being present. We serve the uncapturable God. Woe to any enemy that thinks they can take God from you. Can I tell you? Satan can't take God from you. No, your past can't take God from you. Nothing can take God from you. Woe to the enemy who thinks that they can capture God. Woe to any enemy that thinks they can manipulate him or control him. Even when Israel lost the ark of God, God continued to work on Israel's behalf. There is a second half to this story I want to bring to you. So God brought victory against Ashdod. God brought victory against Gath. God brought victory to Ekron. And the Ark of the Covenant is back where? In Israel. Y'all agree with that? Y'all following? All right. So God ransacked all these cities. And so the Philistines, they placed the Ark on a wooden cart pulled by two cows. Kind of a funny part of the story. I will keep it short, but he, they also load, so they, they load this cart with the Ark of the Covenant, but they also load it down with gold from five cities. And they shape the gold like the judgment they had received. So the gold, they shape it into tumors, and it looks like mice or rats So that was some of the stuff going on among them. So I want you to understand this. Israel receives the Ark of the Covenant and gold. They receive a blessing that they didn't even earn, that they didn't even fight for. So is this the happy end to the story? This is the happy ending right here? The story's over. No, no, it's not. Unfortunately, this ought to be a happy ending. This ought to end with all of Israel rejoicing in the God of Israel, but instead something bad happens when the ark comes into the city of Beth Shemesh. 1 Samuel, verse 6, verse 19. But God struck down some of the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, putting 70 of them to death because they looked into the ark of the Lord. The people mourned, Because of the heavy blow the Lord had dealt them. And the people of Shemesh asked, Who can stand in the presence of the holy of the Lord, this holy God? To whom will the ark go up from here? So remember Ashdad, Gath, and Ekron? They received the heavy hand of God. Judgment fell on them. Now Beth Shemesh, heavy judgment has fallen on them. They they call it a heavy blow. Why? Because they looked inside the Ark of the Covenant. They they shouldn't have ever done such a thing, but they, they did. What does that mean? That means that they mistreated God. They mistreated the presence of God. They mistreated the commands of God. Can I tell you, His presence should never be mistreated. His word should never be mistreated. If he really is your God, you ought to 
be in awe of his holy presence, and you ought to be in awe of his holy word. They did not honor God's presence. They did not humble themselves before his presence. They treated God as a captive. We can just treat him any way we want. Here is the Ark of the Covenant. You know, I've always kind of wanted to look inside. Let's look inside of that thing. And 70 people were struck dead. So like the previous Philistine towns, Beth Shemesh ends up seeking to send away the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, they mourned when they lost that thing. They cried, how could we lose that thing? But when they didn't, when they received it back, but they mistreated it, suddenly they're just like the Philistines. We got to get this thing out of here. We got to get his presence out of here. 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 21. Then they sent messengers to the people of Kiriath-Jerim, saying, the Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to your own town. So they don't even send it, right? They're like, you know, we just want to bless you. Why don't you just come take this town? Oh, there's dead bodies back there? No, 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 that's, those aren't dead bodies. No, you're not seeing 70 dead bodies. They're like, please take it. We want to we wanna bless you. That is no different than the Philistines. Can I tell you, there is no difference between the Philistines and Israel when, when they don't serve God. When you're disobedient, you might as well be a Philistine. Because what, remember at the beginning of this, I told you the Philistines are rebellious against God. And I said that the Israelites, right, they try to serve God, but sometimes they mess up. When we mess up, we are just like the Philistines. So get this, Israelites, we should never judge the Philistines. We should not be judgmental against people because we all fall short. We all mess up. Can I get an amen on that? So this is a weird place in the story we have to push pause because for 20 years the ark of the covenant stays in kiriath jerim 20 years it just sits there and it waits for david to retrieve it in the next book we're in first samuel now we got to flip over and we go to second samuel chapter six how many years later 20 years later david and all Israel, verse 5, 2 Samuel 6, David and all, and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. So they got a whole praise team happening, don't they? They got, they got the music going. They got the percussion. It's a rejoicing. They are celebrating with all their might before the Lord. Happy ending, everyone, right? Happy ending? No, it's not a happy ending. It's not a happy, this ought to be the happy ending, right? It should be the happy ending, but it's not. 2 Samuel 6, verse 6. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah, somebody say Uzzah, reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. So now just picture this, the ark is on a cart. There's oxen pulling it, and the oxen kind of trips, and Uzzah sees the, 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 the cart kind of go, whoa. And so he reaches out and tries to steady the ark of God. He reaches out and touches the ark of God. Verse 7, the Lord's anger burned 
against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Real quick. Is the ark of God supposed to be carried on a cart? No, it's supposed to be carried by priests. It's supposed to be carried by the Levites. And so this was wrong. They, they were misrepresenting and mistreating and being reverent towards the ark of God. And then a guy touched it. You're never supposed to touch the ark of God. God's holy presence cannot be touched. Uzzah had been watching the ark many years in Kirajirim. It was there in 20, it was there 20 years. That's where he lived. He had been watching the ark of God for 20 years. Can I tell you, you can become casual with God's presence. I've been around this thing 20 years. Whoa, just reach out and touch it. So casually, he touched the ark and he died. Can I tell you, we do not have a casual God. Now you might just casually come to church you might casually sing. You might casually say an amen. Somebody casually say amen. Amen. Let's casually amen. You might casually give God a little golf clap. You might casually throw a few bucks into the offering. But can I tell you, the God of Israel, there is nothing casual about him. There is nothing casual about the ark of God. There's nothing casual about his presence. Do you know he's the God who splits the Red Sea? Do you know he's the God of the pillar of fire? Do you know he is the God who clothed himself in flesh, died on a cross, and rose again? There is nothing casual about our God. So do you treat him casually? The ark stops at this moment. We got a dead guy laying next to the ark. The ark stops. It was heading back to Jerusalem. It was headed towards a happy ending, but now it stops now they're once more, they're asking, now what? Where do we take this ark? Reminder, the ark has been an issue. Ask Ashdod if it was an issue. Gath, it was an issue. Ekron, it was an issue. Beth Shemesh, it was an issue. And now Kiriath Jerem, it's an issue with the dead guy named Musa sitting on the ground. It's almost like, whoa. I got good news. Kathy, we're bringing the ark of God to your house. And you're like, no, 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 no. No, no, no. That's so sweet of you. But I insist it goes to Courtney's house instead. Who in their right mind would now want the ark? Think about that. My gosh, we got tumors. We got rats. We've got people, 70 people dead. A guy dead. We've got all these. It's, you would almost think, man, it's almost like wreckage follows this thing at this point. Some people have that view of God. That's not the correct view. Let's look at what happened. Second Samuel chapter 6, verse 10. David took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Everyone say Obed-Edom, the Gittite. One more time, Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Verse 11, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And what happened? And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. It says it's in his household, right? Can you imagine the ark being in your house? 
Has anybody accidentally ever tripped on their coffee table in the night? If that was bad, imagine accidentally tripping on the ark and falling over dead in the night. I just think about these things. It's in his house. How did that exactly work? Kids, do not listen. Do not play on the furniture, especially God's furniture. Don't do it. Let me teach you about this guy, Obed-Edom the Gittite. His name means servant of Edom. Now, the Edomites are also an enemy of Israel. Israel has lots of enemies. Edomites are from the tribe of Esau, not a tribe, but the brother of Esau, the brother of Israel. And so this guy, Obed-Edom, is possibly an Edomite. Next, he's a Gittite, right? Says that. What does Gittite mean? Means that he's from the city of Gath. Anybody recognize that, that name? He's, that's a Philistine city. The Philistines are the enemy. All right. So he's possibly an Edomite. Some people think he could possibly be a Philistine somewhere in his lineage. This guy's a mixed up little bag, right? And then later we are told uh, in 1 Chronicles 15 that Obed-Edom is also a Levite. We said that name earlier. So that's a priest. That's the priestly tribe. So this guy is a mixed bag. Is he a Levite? You think so, maybe? Well, we know that from, from the word of God. But also, is he friendly with the enemies of Israel? Exactly who is this guy that we're giving the ark of God to? But here's what we do know about Obed. Absolutely. He allows God in his home. They said, we're going to take this ark. Can we take it to your house? He's like, yes. I don't know what he was planning on doing that day, but I guarantee you he cleared the schedule. God's coming to our house. We got to make room for God in our house. I don't care what we have to move out of this room. God's coming into this room. We got to make some room. Some of us, our houses are so full. God has no room in our houses. We've got to make room for God. Your schedule sometimes gets so full that you don't have time to pray. You don't have time to read the word of God. You don't have time to witness to others. You don't have time to worship. You got to clear it. You got to clear some space. Sometimes your brain is so full that you don't have time to think about God. You've got your whole drive time to work. And all you do is worry about going to work the whole time. You're just worried about it. You could be using that time for prayer. You got to clear your mind for the things of God. God takes some space, y'all. He's the God of the universe. He's big. Are you just giving him a little space? Are you going to clear your schedule? Clear your house. Clear your mind. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom. This is 2 Samuel 6.11. The Gittite for three months. And the Lord blessed him. And his entire household. For three months, the ark was in his home and he was blessed. Is this part of the story kind of different from, from Ashdod and Gath, Ekron, Beth Shemesh, Kirith Jerem? So what is the difference between Obed-Edom and all those rebellious cities we just talked about? I want to tell you, here's the difference. They captured God. Both Philistine and Israelite 
act like they could tell God to do whatever they wanted him to do. They could just put him in any place as they wished. Obed, they, they also treated God like he were common. Just opening him up, looking inside, touching him. But Obed-Edom welcomed God into his home like an honored guest. So how do you treat God? Do you treat God like you've captured him? Do you treat God like a captive? Do you tell God what to do? Do you tell God what he is allowed to do in your life? God, you're allowed to do this much, but nothing past that. Is that what you're doing? Is God captured? Is God a captive? Do you tell God what in his word you will follow and what in his word you won't follow? You say, God, uh, I'll do this part right here, but this part about forgiving others, no, not on your life. I'll follow you in this regard, but when it comes to, you know, not being greedy with my money, you know, I'm not going to do that. What is that? That's treating God like a captive. That's telling God what he can and cannot do. How about this? God, that goes against my traditions. God wants to do something in your life, and you're like, no, 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 I was not raised that way. What is that? Unforgiveness, unbelief, all these things that God would bring you into. He'd bring you past your unbelief. He'd bring you past your bitterness, but you're like, no, no, God. And you put up big chain link fences. You put him in chains so he can't go any further in your life. Are you treating God like a captured God? Do you treat God as common? Do you just come and do church without, without any second thought? Do you, do you look in the word of God just a little bit? I'm, I'm, I'm even like, we should not be common about the things of God. Do you have a Bible in your house? Do you treat it like a common book? When we worship, do you just treat it like any other time? It's not common. And the God that we're worshiping is not common. Are you surrendered to God? Or do you act like he should surrender to you? Well, God, I'm here. Came to church today. You should surrender to me. That's not how it works. He's uncapturable. Or do you, let's flip it on its head. Do you treat God like Obed-Edom treated God? Do you treat God like a guest? God, I'm so glad you're here. God, I'm so glad that your presence would be here with me. Do you make room? Do you make time? Are you glad that God is present? Are you glad when you feel God's presence? Or are you just, has it become a common thing to you? Has it become, you know God's presence when you feel it, right? Has, are you still blown away by his presence? Or do you just think that that's just a, a, just a thing that happens? Do you ask God? what you can do for him, or is it all about what God can do for you? So the ark is in his home for three months, and his home is blessed. And King David comes from the ark. And this is the happy ending of the story, right? What do you think? Is this the happy ending? Is this the ending? Well, it's a happy moment, but this is not the ending of the story, Ron. There's something else that happens. This is where you would expect Obed-Edom to wave lovingly goodbye to the ark of God as it leaves his home forever and goes 
to the city of Jerusalem. But this is not how the story ends. Obed-Edom does not walk out on his porch and wave like your grandparents did when you'd go visit them. And then when you'd leave, anybody remember that? And you'd turn around and your grandparents, would, and like you would wave. Sometimes you would still wave even though they can't see you. You're just like, I just want them to know I love them so much that I'm still waving even though they can't see me. Anybody? Was I the only one? Y'all need to love your grandparents more. All right. That's not how this Obed-Edom story ends. Do you know how this Obed-Edom story ends? First, I want to tell you, once you realize, once you experience God's presence, His love, His blessing, I want to tell you, you're never the same again. Being in close proximity to this God changes you. It changes you. Can I tell you, when God was in Ashdod, it changed them. There's this one little funny part in their story that because the, the, the fish god, Dagon, landed on the threshold of their temple, for the rest of time, every priest of Dagon leaped over the, the threshold because they were afraid to step on that threshold because the God of Israel had slain Dagon there. So literally, the presence of God inside that temple changed how they walked inside that temple for the rest of the time. Does God change you? Does God change how you walk? Does God change how you worship? Does God bring out things in you? Is anybody different? The Bible says he gives you a new way of speaking, that he gives you a new heart. The God of Israel changes us. And that's those Philistine Dagon priests. Now let's go back to Obed-Edom. Do you think having God in his home for three months changed him? Wonder, just let yourself realize or imagine, God, how would that change me for your presence, for your holy presence to be in my house and to see close, firsthand, face-to-face the blessings of you just show up in my children, show up in my home, show up in my finances, show up in, in, in every area of my life, in my health. Ah, here's where you need to realize. It's what Obed-Edom realized. He realized this. You can never capture God, but God can capture you. God can capture He is the incapturable God, but he is the God that captures us. You really want to know what the whole Bible is about? The Bible is God trying to capture your heart, trying to capture your attention, trying to capture your life. He wants to. You know what heaven is? It's you being captured in his presence forever. Because God wants to spend eternity with God captured the attention of Obed-Edom. God captured the heart of Obed-Edom. God captured his desires. Obed-Edom's life goals changed. We don't really know what his life goals were. He was probably a farmer. He was around a threshing floor. That's like a farming area. But his attitude and his life goals completely changed from this moment. Obed-Edom did not just wave goodbye to God In the Bible, it lets us know he followed God all the way to God's house in Jerusalem. 
Look at it. First Chronicles 15 and verse 24. I want you to look at the last sentence. It's listing all these Levites with really hard to say names. So I'm going to skip all those, Jeremy. I'm going to skip all of those. All right. But we're going to go to the very last line. Obed, Edom, and Jehiah were also to be doorkeepers for the ark. This is the same Obed-Edom. He's now not known as Obed-Edom the Gittite. He's known as Obed-Edom the doorkeeper for the ark. Because God came to his house, Obed-Edom decided to dwell forever in God's house. He, he sees God, God's ark moving and he says, guys, get, pack up, pack up. We can't stay here any longer. We're going to go where God is going. Wherever his presence is, that is where we want to be. Obed-Edom went to Jerusalem. He went to the temple, and he was a doorkeeper for God's house. There's something here I could say that it was, it was rare to be able to go into the presence of God. Only one guy could ever go into the presence of the most holy place. He could do it once a year. That's the high priest. And only select few could work inside the temple. We don't know a whole lot about his lineage. But I want to tell you, I believe Obed-Edom said, whatever I can do, get me as close as I can be to God's presence. I remember three wonderful months where I was close to his presence. And I don't want that to be in the past. I want to be as close as I can be right now to his presence. And some guy with some uh, checklist, he's like, well, we got an opening for a doorkeeper. He's like, call me Obed-Edom, the doorkeeper from now on. God captures us. Those that try to capture God end up sending God away, and they end up running away. Those that are captured by God, they're changed forever, and they change their entire life to follow him. Have you changed your entire life to follow him? Why not today change your life to follow the Lord? Experience God's goodness. It changes you. You know what is supposed to bring us to repentance? The Bible says his kindness is what's supposed to bring us to repentance. And we usually get that all wrong, Tria. We usually think God's fist of anger is what's going to make us repent. It's like, oh, I'm going to show you. And like, oh, God, please forgive me now. No, it's not that. It, what, what brings you to a change of life is getting a dose of his kindness. And Obed-Edom was exposed to the kindness of God, and it changed him forever. Has God been kind to you? Does that change you? Will you allow that to change you today? Experiencing his kindness and blessings change you. In a moment, we're going to be standing. Go ahead and stand now. We're going to be singing the goodness of God together. I want you to just love on God and receive his kindness and his goodness. But first, I want to ask you this. Are you trying to capture God today? Or will you allow God to capture you? Very quickly, we have a scripture. Here it is. Psalm 84 and 10. It says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. What courts? The temple courts. The place where God's presence is. Better is one day near your presence than a thousand elsewhere. And it says what next? It says, I would rather 
be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. To be as close to God as I can be. That is where I want to be. Obed-Edom said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper. What would you say to God today? I would rather be, tell him. I would rather be close to you. I'd rather be somebody who knows my Bible. I'd rather be somebody who is forgiven. I'd rather be someone who forgives others. What is it today? But surrender that to the Lord. We're going to enter into a time of worship. I want us all to also to enter into a time of prayer and talking to God in this place. Let's reach out to the Lord in this For more information about redemption, look us up online at redemption-church.com. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or even our anonymous question text line at 214-856-0550. Thank you for joining us, and have a blessed day.